Jesus said, as it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. May your souls be satisfied as you wait upon him and rely upon his word. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses 12 to 22. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses 12 to 22. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope that you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. And that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray in the name of Jesus for help in understanding and applying your word today. We pray that your Holy Spirit will help us and plant your word in our hearts and bring conviction and work in such a way that we would be transformed by your spirit working through your word. Lord, satisfy us with your word today. Speak to us Lord Jesus, by your word, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Many of you remember this, but early in our ministry here at Bull Street, there was a conflict that came about. It happened, it started on a Sunday morning it was July 4th and it happened to fall on a Sunday morning and one of the men of the church came up and said, can we put the flag on the platform right in the center of the stage? And you know, I was pretty new, it was pretty early on and I really didn't know what to do, but I, I didn't think that that was right. I didn't want it to distract from the service and especially from Christ being preeminent in our service. And so I said no. and. 
And the person stormed out of the church and said, I'm going to go somewhere where they honor the flag. And I was so grieved in my spirit. I was so hurt and I, I really didn't know what to do. And I thought it would just go away, but it didn't. In fact, that one occasion turned into multiple people opposing me and spreading rumors, questioning my integrity, questioning my patriotism, all of these things. And it was really one of the most painful times in ministry. I couldn't do anything about it. But I tried to teach. I tried to go to the brothers and I tried to teach the Word of God and I, I tried to open the Word in First Peter and in Philippians and show how we were aliens and sojourners and how we, that our citizenship was in heaven from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that our, our primary citizenship is in heaven and, and that we're to be good citizens here. We're to be good Americans. And I shared how I loved the flag, but, but in church, it's not the flag that unify, unifies us. It's Jesus Christ who unifies His people. We're gathered around Christ and Christ alone. And, and Christ is for all the peoples from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. And I shared how in the public square, I believe that as Americans, we are unified under the flag and we could be Christians and atheists and Jews and Muslims and everybody unified as Americans under the flag in the public square, but not in church. And my heart was that we guarded the preeminence of Christ. I didn't want anything to distract from Christ. The preaching of the gospel, Christ crucified and raised from the dead and sinners coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Didn't want anything to take, distract from that. It was painful to have opponents like that coming against my integrity and my ministry. But I'll tell you this, during that season, I slept well at night. I had a clear conscience. I knew of my responsibility and believed that I was being faithful, being faithful steward of the pulpit, being faithful steward of what God had entrusted to us. And, and so I slept well at night with a clear conscience, even in all of the pain. Well, I'm not the Apostle Paul, and I've never experienced the kind of opposition that the Apostle Paul faced, and especially from a group of opponents in Corinth. You see, there was a group who had really come against him and attacked his integrity and criticized him for his decision-making, and we're going to get into that right here in this text. They say he was vacillating. He couldn't be operating by the Spirit because he, he made these plans, and then he changed his plans, and then he changed his plans again, and 
how could he be operating under the Spirit of God? He's always changing his plans. But Paul's boast was this, that by the grace of God, his life was characterized by integrity. His walk, his talk, his preaching, his writing, his desires, his motives, his actions, above board, across the board. And that was the testimony of his conscience. Paul starts off in verse 12 and he says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. Speaking about himself and his ministry team, they they had a clear conscience. They slept well at night. One writer, Douglas Mangum, in the Lexham Theological Word book, said this about the conscience. He said, a person's The conscience is a person's internal witness to their own behavior, the guilt over wrongdoing, and the satisfaction of choosing right over wrong. A person's internal witness to their own behavior, the guilt over wrongdoing, and the satisfaction of choosing right over wrong. I remember one of our children when they were really young, they had done something wrong and, and they, they said, my conscience is hot. Have you ever felt that? You know it on the inside, you feel it. It's the internal witness. And when you've made a right decision, e- even as an unbeliever, you feel good about that. There's a, an internal witness. The problem with unbelievers is the conscience always testifies against you. Guilty. 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 And it won't go away apart from the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. It's, the blood of Christ is the only thing that can cleanse the conscience. But as believers, we're to live with a clean conscience. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this in his multiple testimonies before kings and governors. He says this in Acts chapter 23, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And he says in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. And he says to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the message is entitled, Operating Out of a Clear Conscience. How do we operate out of a clear conscience? And really, 
the three points that I want us to look at are, are really application points out of the meaning of the text. We're going to dig in to the meaning of the text and make our application directly. The first thing we're going to see is that your life must be characterized by integrity. If you want to operate out of a clear conscience, your life must be characterized by integrity. Your plans must be surrendered to the Lord. And your message must be centered on Jesus Christ to the praise and the glory of God. And that's what Paul models for us right here in this text. So let's look first of all at verses 12 to 14 with this. Number one, your life must be characterized by integrity. Verses 12 to 14, now many theologians say that this, these verses right here are the thesis of the whole book of 2 Corinthians. We've already looked at the greeting and the, the opening remarks of the book of 2 Corinthians, but now we get into the meat of the letter, the, the body of the letter, and it starts right in verse 12, where Paul says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so, toward you. Brother Zion, I'm, I'm here in the words of your song, Vagabond, where you say, in the world, but not of it, of it. And that's the way Paul is saying, we've lived in the world, but not of it, not according to earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. We behaved in the world. Our pattern of life, our manner of living, was with simplicity and godly sincerity. So you must, or your life must be characterized by integrity in the way that you behave in the world. With purity and sincerity in your motives and actions. Uprightness honesty. That's what he's communicating with these words, simplicity and godly sincerity. Uprightness, honesty, simplicity, not duplicity. You're trustworthy, true. You're not double-tongued. You're not talking out of both sides of the mouth. See, those opponents of the Apostle Paul were accusing him of vacillating, of making his decisions and bouncing around saying to one person, I'm going to do this, and to another person, I'm going to do this, out of the same or different sides of his mouth, so that he's not trustworthy, he's not true, we can't count on him. He can't be an apostle. Paul says, our boast is this, the 
testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and so supremely so toward you. And brothers and sisters, you, w- you would know this, he's saying to them. You remember on the second missionary journey in Acts chapter 18, remember, the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a vision, and he said, I want you to stay here and keep preaching. For I have my people here, so keep preaching. And he stayed a year and a half under the circumstances of incredible opposition, great difficulty as he's proclaiming the gospel, but he stays and he faithfully ministers the Word of God. He's occupied with the Word of God all the time. And they know this about him. They know his manner of life. He's lived among them. He planted the church. And yet there were, there were some who were questioning his integrity, his motives. You remember, he was taking up an offering that was going to go from all of the Gentile churches back to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he was making a collection from all of the churches, and there were representatives from the churches that he was taking back to Jerusalem with him to say, we love you. And the same gospel that you believed is the gospel that we believed, and we're united as brothers and sisters in Christ, and Jesus has changed our life, and we want to bless you out of the generosity that God has shown towards us through the gospel and his detractors, his opponents, his, those who were criticizing him were questioning his motives in the offering. Your life must be characterized by integrity in the way that you behave in the world. And he was saying we had a clear conscience. Secondly, in the way that you give the credit, your life must be characterized by integrity in the way that you give the credit. Most of the times people, people think about their own integrity and they think about how, how they have worked hard to guard their reputation, how they have worked hard to do the right thing, to be consistent across the board. And it's almost as if they are creating their own integrity by their own strength. Paul doesn't do that. Paul says we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. Paul credits his integrity to the grace of God. He's living by the divine enabling power of God. That is how he's behaving in the world with complete integrity. Paul says, I am who I am by the grace of God. If it were up to me, I couldn't maintain integrity. But by the grace of God, I'm living in integrity. And and we're not talking about the, the snapshot. We're talking about the movie here, the movie of his life, what he is characterized by. How people know his life, the the pattern of his living. If you take credit for the work of God in your life, you're not being honest. 
You're not being upright and true. But Paul was upright and true. He was honest. He was trustworthy. And he didn't take credit for his own integrity. He said, we've behaved this way by the grace of God. We give God all the credit. And your life must be characterized by integrity in the way that you behave in the world, in the way that you give the credit, but also in the way that you communicate with people. Look at what he says in verse 13. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of the Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. This is what he's saying. He's saying, what we wrote to you was plain and simple. We wrote it so that you could understand it. We weren't, we weren't giving you hidden messages between the lines. We weren't subtexting in our letter to you. There were no hidden messages or meanings. Our communication was clear and understandable, plain in meaning and meant to be understood. See, they were questioning his motives, what he was saying. What was he really after? What did he really want? Living life in the body of Christ, it's so important that we give each other the benefit of the doubt, that we don't assign to each other wrong motives. We don't know each other's hearts. We can trust each other and we can see by our lives and how people are living. We can see that in the body of Christ that we're, we're trying to be authentic and be trustworthy with one another, that we, we tell the truth. We've been set free to tell the truth. So in the way that you communicate with people you must be characterized by integrity. Now, I say this. Now, y'all know I'm not on Facebook. And I'm not on any social media. And sometimes I feel like I'm out of the loop and I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> Charlotte keeps me informed. But there is such a temptation to write hidden messages in your posts and in, in what you're putting on Facebook. Uh, and it's, some people will know what you're talking about. Everybody else is like, what does that mean? Y'all don't do that. Let your message be clear and plain and simple and, and truthful. Don't have hidden meanings in things. If, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to go somebody that you're upset with, don't post about it with some subtext. Go to them. And say, brother, I'm bothered. Sister, I'm, I'm bothered. I've, I've been offended and I want to come to you so that we could be right before God. Amen? Paul's boast was this, that by the grace of God, his life was characterized by integrity. His, his walk, his talk, his preaching, his writing, his desires, his motives, his actions, they were above board and across the board. And this was the testimony of his conscience. Let me ask you this. Do you have a clear conscience today? 
Ask yourself, am I a person of integrity? Is my word true? Is what I say true? Am I communicating between the lines or is what I'm saying what I mean? And can people count on it? So number one, in order to operate out of a clear conscience, you must, your life must be characterized by integrity. Number two, your plans must be surrendered to the Lord. Look at verses 15 to 17. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. Now, this is not the second experience of grace of the Pentecostals. That's not what this is. A second benefit. Now, some people think that it's the benefit of the grace of giving that he would go to them first and collect the offering and go up to Macedonia and then come back and they'd be able to take up another offering. And remember, he refers to it as an act of grace. And so maybe that's a second blessing that, that they would be able to participate in this two times, not just one. Other people think that this second experience of grace is just his ministry among them, him being with them a second time, and that would be a a blessing to this congregation. He says, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. So he wants to sail across the sea to come into Corinth and and spend time with them and then go up to Macedonia, up to the churches, Berea, Philippi. And then he wants to come back down and then have them send him. And what that means is supply him, partner with him to go back to Judea to take that offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? And in the original language, the the grammar and the way that it's structured, there is an emphatic no that is the implied answer. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Absolutely not. Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? And again, the answer is absolutely not. And he might say, what does all this mean? Well, at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, Paul tells them what he wants to do. He says, verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. In other words, I'm not going to stay there right now, but just pass through. I hope to spend some time with you. Watch this. If the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. Now, some of you know 
that this is the verse right here that the Lord used to call me to Bull Street. The Lord just pressed this particular verse nine on my heart where I knew we were supposed to come to Bull Street for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So Paul tells them at the end of 1 Corinthians that he he wants to visit them after passing through Macedonia. But then he communicates in verse 15 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to, and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to, to Judea. Down in verse 23, he says this, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. <laughs> Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work for you, for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. And then verse one of chapter two, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. So they're looking at it and saying, brother, you've changed your mind three times. I mean, come on. Is your word your word? What are you doing? But Paul's plans were surrendered to the Lord. Remember, in James chapter four, verse 13 and following, James says this, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Paul's decision-making is not in conflict with that at all. In fact, it's right in line with. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Verse seven, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. He told him that. In other words, he's saying, I wanna come to you. I wanna do this, Lord willing, Lord willing. But he's trusting the Lord. He's making his decisions in accordance with the will of God. And so he's not vacillating according to the flesh. He's being sensitive to the spirit and there was a problem at Corinth and he wasn't ready to come. In fact, he didn't think it was wise to come. He had gotten a bad report back from Timothy and it was not wise for him to come at the time because if he had to come then, it would have been for judgment. He was patient. He had their best interest at heart. See, he loved this church. They were messed up. I mean, there were a lot of problems at Corinth. But they were brothers and sisters in Christ. They had had 
an experience of the gospel. They knew the Lord Jesus. And there were some in the congregation who were stirring up trouble, but the most of them were following Paul. They were listening and obeying the apostle to the Gentiles. You must make, you, your plans must be surrendered to the Lord. And I think this is such a reminder to, as we say, we want to do this, we want to do that. We need to be able to say, as the Lord wills if the Lord permits, and be sensitive to your decision-making or sensitive to the Lord in your decision-making and pray and seek counsel and, and ask the Lord to show you exactly what you're supposed to do. I was sharing with somebody recently about reading the Old Testament in, in First and Second Samuel and, and in uh, Chronicles how David is so sensitive to the Holy Spirit as he's, he's asking the Lord, shall we go up? And the Lord says, go up. I mean, everything he's turning to the Lord asking, shall we do this? Shall we do that? And the Lord is guiding and directing him to do that. Are your plans surrendered to the Lord? Are you making plans independent of the Lord and just hoping he's going to bless them? Or are you surrendering everything to the Lord? You want to sleep well on your pillow at night, operate out of a clear conscience. Your plans must be surrendered to the Lord. And number three, and finally, your message must be centered on Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. Look at verses 18 to 22. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. I mean, Paul is appealing to the faithfulness of God. He's a representative, an authoritative representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's an ambassador who's speaking for Christ. And he says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Paul is saying that all of the promises of God in the Old Testament, go back to Genesis, the Abrahamic promise that all of the nations would be blessed in him. It wasn't Abraham, it wasn't the Jewish people, it was Christ. Christ was the recipient of the Abrahamic promise. You might say, well, how do you know that? Well. Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. Abrahamic blessing fulfilled in Christ. Finds its yes in Christ. The, the Davidic promise finds its yes in in Christ. The new covenant promise finds its yes in Christ. All of the promises, the glorious 
promises of God of salvation, eternal life, forgiveness, find their yes and amen in Jesus. Paul says, and that is why it is through him, through Christ, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Your message must be centered on Jesus Christ to the praise and the glory of God. The message of the entire Bible is centered on Christ. Paul is God-centered in his approach. It's all about God. It's all about his glory. Our integrity is by his grace. He gives God the credit for everything. It's not man-centered, it's God-centered and particularly Christ-centered. God does it all and God gets the glory. Notice what he says. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's talking to the Corinthians and he's saying, us, us, God has sealed us with his spirit. God has anointed us all. He's given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God has done this work. This wasn't according to the flesh. This wasn't our will. This was God's will. God has accomplished it and he gets the glory. R. Kent Hughes says this, because Christ is the grand consummating yes, God's unambiguous ultimate yes. He is the ground and fulcrum of all Christian ethics. Those who are in Christ and embrace him as the yes with all their hearts embrace truth and truth telling as a way of life. If we say amen to the truth about Christ, as Paul calls us to in his conclusion, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory, then we must also live lives of truth, of radical veracity. You see, that's what this whole passage is about. Paul is saying, y'all are accusing me of vacillating, of changing my mind according to the flesh. No. My life, my ministry is consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's focused on the gospel. Our message is centered on Christ to the praise and the glory of God. Our our plans are surrendered to the Lord and our, our life and our ministry is characterized by integrity and we sleep well at night. The Lord did an amazing work through that flag controversy. I didn't act perfectly. I really look back and see it as a time of growth and uh, where the Lord was really teaching me so much. But I slept well at night. I had a clear conscience. Our ministry was focused 
on the glory of God in Jesus Christ, the preeminence of Christ. And God has honored that. God honored it in the ministry of the Apostle Paul among the Corinthians and all the churches that were planted. And God has honored it right here at Bull Street and has transformed us according to his will for the glory of our Christ. And we're experiencing fruit and blessing that we really can look back to those times of him transforming us and testing us that now we're experiencing a kind of blessing and unity that was forged out of those painful times. Let me close with this. Is your life characterized by integrity, not perfection, but integrity? that your life tells the truth about God, tells the truth about the gospel? Does your marriage tell the truth about God and the gospel? Does your ministry tell the truth about God and the gospel? Does your, do your words tell the truth? Do your Facebook posts, do your Instagram posts, do they tell the truth? Are you characterized by veracity, radical veracity like Kent Hughes said. Because that's what the gospel does. Christ changes us into truth tellers because he is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your glorious promises that all find their yes in Christ. Lord, we want to utter our amen, our affirmation, our let it be so, our agreement. with the preeminence of Jesus Christ for your glory. So make us men and women and boys and girls of radical veracity and with lives of integrity that we would be truth tellers in everything, our deportment, our just across the board in our lives. May we be like that, understanding that we're not perfect. We have indwelling sin. We're going to war against the flesh and, and battle with indwelling sin. But Lord, you've set us free from the dominion of sin. We are no longer under its power. And by the grace of God, we can live lives of integrity. So I pray that we would rely upon your divine enabling power to do that for your glory, and that we would give you the credit for that, that we would not take the credit for our integrity. We are who we are by the grace of God. And again, Father, we pray that if there's anyone here who who doesn't know Christ as the Savior, the one who through his life, death, and resurrection brings about the forgiveness of sinners and reconciliation to God and eternal life. Lord, I pray that you 
would bring about salvation today by your grace, that sinners would be saved, would be rescued for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.